Hello, I'm Dan Bardell and welcome back to 1874 on The Athletic. This is the Aston Villa podcast where Greg Evans and myself discuss the latest happenings at Villa Park. Coming up on today's show. No home comforts as Villa lose their third home game on the spin. Barkley blow, how will Ross's injury affect the team selection? Bad day for Trezeguet, we discuss the Egyptian international, some nice rhyming there. And just where are Villa at in this topsy-turvy Premier League season? I'm sure we'll probably have a little dig at VAR and refereeing at some point as well. But Greg, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, Dan. Thanks. Yeah, wasn't the result we wanted, was it, on Saturday? But recovered now and uh, ready for the week ahead, mate. It was one of those days where... I was so confident going into the game. I bet on Villa, which I never usually do. I made Watkins my fantasy football captain and I just I set, I set us up for a fall. I feel like it's in a way my fault, Greg. <laughs> Should we put it all on you then? Should we blame I it did. all on you? <laughs> you know, when you get the blame for, for saying things on tweets, I just feel like I, yeah. I kind of didn't help the situation this week at all with my overconfidence. <laughs> No, to be honest, Dan, I have to admit, I was very confident going into the game. And, you know, we, we do a, a Q&A before, before, during and after the game. And a lot of the fans were speaking up and saying that they were quite concerned and that they were worried about some of the similar patterns emerging from last season. And, you know, they predicted that it would be a game that, that Villa would struggle. But I was kind of trying to reassure them and just saying, look, you know, Villa have come up against much tougher opposition this season. I actually thought it would be a game that would, would pretty much that would suit Villa, you know, and, and play into their hands but just wasn't the case was it and they were you know chasing pretty much from the off um, obviously Danny Welbeck's early goal made it quite difficult and they were just never able to recover I mean from what you've said there I'm actually going to give you 50% of the blame as well because it feels like you're in the same boat as mm-hmm. me but you, you covered the game in a, in a slightly different way didn't you this weekend I read your piece this morning did you want to just tell the, tell the listeners what you did yeah, so you know, as we know, as you know, we we don't always do match reports from from the games. Um, we try to mix it up a little bit, and I just thought it'd be quite interesting to see how Villa's social media team operated on a match day. Thank thank the club for allowing me a little bit of access to spend some time with them. I, I shadowed some of the guys who produce the content for the social media channels. It's it's quite a small team actually in 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 this COVID world. You know, during a normal game in a normal season, there'd be quite a few members of the media team chipping mm. in with you know, contributions from in and around the ground, you know, various fan pictures and, and other bits of content. But, you know, it's very simple in a, in a, in a COVID world. There's Neville Williams, the long-serving photographer, uh, who provides the pictures um, and a couple of the media team guys who, who, who basically man Twitter, Instagram and, and Facebook yeah. throughout the game. And it's quite a tough task, really, because, you know, it's, it's something that I've done in previous jobs publishing to, to social media during games but obviously from an official club account you have to be very you know careful and make sure everything's worded correctly you've got to sort of play the the, the, the company and the team's line so to speak you know and uh, it's quite interesting really it's quite funny having a look at some of the comments that come in wet to, to some of the official posts because quite interesting to see how many supporters from other teams as well actually contribute to you know to goals that are scored or conceded there seem to be quite a few Leeds fans chipping in when Villa went behind which could come as a surprise to some people but not to others (laughs) but yeah look you know it's a different and interesting feature that I did and and, and I think for regular users of social media I think it'll be a really interesting read for them right now you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a week you can read all of Greg's articles on Villa and so much more as well as all of our podcasts ad free 
Just go to theathletic.com slash villapod. That's theathletic.com slash villapod and pay just £1 a week. And then fair play to you for doing some work experience in your 30s as well. Not often you hear about people <laughs> doing work experience in their 30s, but you, you seem to have done it. I, I do feel sorry for the social media team actually on a match day because they are met with a lot of garbage. I don't like all, all that culture and I hate it when it's on, on the official club account as well but it's no surprise to me to hear opposition fans getting involved in Villa's uh, doings because that's been a regular theme over the last year or so onto the game it's a disappointing day, isn't it? And the reality is now, Greg, Villa have lost three home games on the spin, which which isn't great. No, look, I mean, again, in a normal in a normal season, the home games are the are the games that really tick you over, and especially for a, for a club of like Aston Villa who survived last season by a single point. You know, going into this season, the the plan and the objective first and foremost was staying in the division. Um, I think the fact that Villa have won five out of their eight games uh, has heightened expectations a little bit. You know, and supporters are, are expecting a little bit more, and not necessarily anything wrong with that. You know, Villa Villa are an ambitious club the, the two owners want to see the club in the higher echelons of the division but um, yeah it just feels that it feels that those home defeats have just just spoiled it a little bit really and you know many of us are still wondering what this Villa team are about are they a, a team that are capable of sustaining it and staying in the top half of the division or are these defeats um, a sign that you know there might be some struggles ahead? It's it's uh, it's one that we're probably just going to have to monitor going into Christmas. But the good thing for Villa is that they've got plenty of points on the board, so there shouldn't be too many concerns. That's the and that's the main thing. Yeah, I mean we're we're in a very very good place. You, you can't argue with that. Five wins from eight. I would never have anticipated that going into the season. So I think it's been a brilliant start, which, whichever way you look at it. But were you surprised that Dean Smith didn't rotate his, his squad a little bit because there was a few players there to me. They looked tired from minute one. I'm thinking about McGinn and Louise and what that what they'd done on international duty, freshening up the central midfield. Were you surprised that he didn't change the starting lineup a little? Uh, yes and no. I think in some ways, a, a manager desperately wants a um, a starting lineup that is settled, and and it felt very much going into the game that Villa had that. You know, the the winner Arsenal was sensational that the team were brilliant and he probably felt that there was no reason to mix it up I think if you look at the options Villa had on the bench there, there weren't really anything that, you know any clear options that you look at and you think well that player should have come in for that player because Horahan for example played quite a few minutes for Ireland as well so I, I know he hasn't played the previous games for Villa so he probably would have been fresher than Grealish McGinn Louise who had a, you know, a long distance travel with Brazil but yeah, I mean, look, looking back on it now, look, it was clear that, that Grealish was a little bit tired. thought in the last 15 minutes he was very sloppy, poor, you know, giving the ball away too often. And that's very unlike Grealish. And, and it's just probably a case of a little bit too much, too many minutes in the space of a, of a short period of time. But yeah, in terms of the, the starting lineup, you know, I, I, back, I backed that starting lineup that, that Dean picked to go in, to go and do the job. And unfortunately, you know, it just didn't on the day. You can look at it two ways. Villa had, I can't remember how many internationals they had playing in the starting lineup, but Brighton didn't have any. And then you compare it to the week previously, Arsenal have played, you know, a tough game on, on a Thursday night and then had their game again on the Sunday where some of the players have played both the games. So... It's just up and down, isn't it? You know, Villa will have to take advantage of the games that they play against teams who have played in Europe. And, and unfortunately, this one just backfired on them. But yeah, you know, I still think if you ask Dean Smith now, should he have changed his lineup, he, he probably still won't say no. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hello, I'm Ian McIntosh. And despite literally spending months of my life playing football manager, I'm still terrible at it. That's why I'm launching The Football Manager Show, the latest podcast from The Athletic. Every week, I'll speak to the people who know the game best, the people who make the game. We'll take a proper look at things like training, recruitment and tactics. We'll try to answer your questions. We'll do everything we can to keep you eager to play just one more game and altogether less inclined to quit without saving. The era of Cherno and Tonton and dear sweet Michael Duff is over. The new football manager is bigger, better more challenging than ever. And I need some help. If you do too, you can subscribe now. Just look for the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, wherever you get all your other podcasts. It starts in November, and knowing my track record, I'll be unemployed by December. It was a, it was a very chaotic game, really, as well, from minute one. I mean, and Villa lose Ross Barkley, who's one of their probably game changers, and the fact he hasn't had any international football, he'd have been fresh for that game and raring to go. To, to lose Ross Barkley after two minutes... It sets the day sets the day up for a bad day, really, doesn't it? Yeah, it was so frustrating, really. Um, talking about fantasy football teams, I was going to pick him in there. I'm glad I didn't, and I stuck with Konza, and and he got the goal. So that, so that was a nice little bonus. But yeah, I mean, look, you know, he, he Ross did the warm up as well as everybody else did. He was prepared and ready for the game. Um, just ironic, you know, just crazy, really. That that the first free kick of the game, he pulls his hamstring and and, and had to go off and. There's no real player. There's no player quite like him on the bench. You know, I was surprised that Horahan didn't come on. I thought he would be, you know, the direct replacement for him. But fair play to to Smith in a way because he wanted to keep Villa attacking and on the front foot, and that's why he put Traore on. And okay, it was a little bit of a surprise to see him in more of a central role where he's played a lot of his football out on the right in in recent years. But it just shows that neither Horahan or Traore have got those ball carrying qualities that can take Villa quickly from the halfway line into the box and if you look at the amount of touches that Traore had in the box I think I think he only touched it once in the penalty area whereas compare that to Barkley against Arsenal the week before and he had eight or nine touches in the box and that's just the difference Villa haven't got a replacement a direct replacement for him unfortunately. No, because I thought I thought Traore was okay, and I've got to be honest, his set set play delivery was a real nice bonus, and obviously Villa have ended up getting the goal later in the game from his delivery. But what I didn't really understand, and what didn't make sense to me, Greg, was he brought Traore on, so he ends up playing as a, as a number ten directly replacing Barkley, no problem there. But then he had to change it for whatever reason, and then you've ended up moving Trezeguet to the left when I think he's better on the right. Traore is then playing in his natural right position, but you've then taken Jack away from the left-hand side where he's been wreaking havoc for weeks now. He's been a bit excellent on the left-hand side. And I felt like he kind of got a bit lost in the game. He was picking up balls in the in areas where he, he couldn't really be effective, whereas when he's been picking up the ball on the left, he's been so, so effective and so, so dangerous. So by making that sub, 
I just feel Villa lost a, lost a lot of things, a lot of good from their game. Like Target and Jack obviously playing from the left is a good link-up and we didn't really see Target going forward at all. So do, do you see what I mean? Where I just felt we lost so much by making that change, whereas I expected he'd just put Connor in. Connor would sit with Louise and McGinn might play as a number 10 and that, that might make Villa be a bit more free-flowing. But I just felt the sub disrupted us a lot. Yeah, I think that's a good point that you make there. I mean, you know, the, the, the most likely substitution would have been, as you say, Horan coming in, sitting deep, a little bit with Louise and then freeing up McGinn maybe as that um, more attack-minded player but I think he just it felt like he wanted a like-for-like like, which is you know he kept switching it around he kept moving Trezeguet and, and Traore between the wings he, he put Jack as um, a second striker for, for, for a short period felt maybe like he was trying to do a little bit too much to change things and just overthinking it a little bit and then you also had the, the issue of Tariq Lamptey who was you know by far the best player on the pitch causing all sorts of problems and you know I wrote a piece about Matt Cash last week and an English right backs and you know I didn't even mention Lamptey in the piece but wow that was a mistake because he really really impressed me and he was causing so many problems Target couldn't get past the halfway line because he had he simply had to sit back and and, and mark Lamptey because he kept getting forward you know that that was restricting Jack and then as you say Trezeguet came over for a bit I think part of the thinking might have been to try and you know ruffle Lamptey up a bit because what you get with Trezeguet is somebody who you know never gives up. He'll he'll, he'll always stop running. I had to, had to laugh at one point um, that the ball went out of play and he was even sprinting to try and just get the ball. And I'm like, you know, Trezeguet, that, there's a there's a ball boy there to do that job. You know, you don't have to literally run after every single ball. But yeah, look, you know, it, it felt like for me, I think Smith maybe was overthinking it a little bit too much at, at that point, and um, Villa just couldn't find a way through then. Yeah, I mean, Trezeguet is very Forest Gump like at the best of times, and that that story there that, that you tell sums it up. I mean, but we're going to have to rejig now for the West Ham game on Monday. Would you think it's going to be Troy or right that, that comes in and Jack might play as a number 10 for a few weeks while Barkley's out? Do you think it'll be Connor or Nakamba that comes in? What, what do you think he'll do? Yeah, I'm not sure. I forgot about Nakamba. Uh, clear, you know, clearly an option, but doesn't seem to be a popular one at the moment. So there are certainly players ahead of him. The, the the decision I would make, and and you know I can't read Smith's mind at, at this point because I've tried to in the past and got it wrong. <laughs> so I would say Horahan in play alongside Louise, push McGinn slightly further up, and keep Grealish and either Trezeguet or Traore out on the wings. You know, Villa have got another slight issue because Keenan Davis is injured as well. Um, so, you know, they're really seriously running low on attacking options at the moment. Um, I'm not saying Davis would have been a, a direct replacement to come in for Barkley, but, you know, he's certainly an option from the bench. So it, it, we're just going back to what we predicted at the start of this season. You know, if there were a couple of injuries or suspensions, then Villa would be really light. And it's just how they get through this period now. I mean, I could have told you at the start of the season, Keenan Davis would, would probably get an injury in the first few weeks. And I think he's probably had two now already. So essentially that makes Troy all right that the backup striker now, which in itself is is a little bit of a worry. And West Ham, they're on they're big on form at the moment as well, aren't they? Another win for them at the weekend. So that that isn't going to be an easy game. But I'm with you. I think Harahan to come in is, is the most sensible approach. And I was surprised he wasn't the one that came on after two minutes. We spoke about Trezeguet a, a little bit. Obviously, I feel like we say this a lot, but he's ended up missing a few chances. We always say on another day, he could have had two or three. He's such an effective player, but that end product is just not there. That composure in front of goal. and He scored some important goals last season, but so far this season, the composure just hasn't been there. 
Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? You know, he's so close to being a, a really important player for Villa. I think he definitely does have a role for the team because, you know, he works so hard and um, he certainly backs up cash in, in that in that right-sided role. Um, I just think he, he needs to seriously work on his finishing, doesn't he? It's just not, it's not coming off for him. I mean, this one... What, five or six yards out was was an absolute sitter. It was, you know, one that he has to score and that changes the whole dynamic of the game and you think maybe any other midfielder or attacker who gets in that position would go and score. So it's very frustrating and I think he's got to have a look at himself in the penalty situation as well, you know. He's down on the floor holding his leg like he's in serious pain. I mean, it's, it's almost like, I don't like to call players cheats, but it's almost like he's cheating and I spoke to Dennis Mortimer, Villa's European Cup winner, captain recently and he said he doesn't like watching modern football because the players don't really show each other enough respect anymore and by by that what he means is that you know players are going down feigning injury and trying to get opponents sent off and Mortimer said as a previous captain of the Villa team that if one of his teammates were doing that, then he'd have had a serious go at them and, you know, said, what are you doing? Because if you look at Trezeguet, I mean, it's it's, it's not a disgrace, but because I can I can half understand it in, in this modern game as well. You go down and you try and win a penalty. But for me, it's never a penalty. I mean, you know. Do you think? Oh, no chance. You don't think it's a penalty? No chance. Oh, my God. Come on. What, you actually Quick. think it's a penalty? It is a penalty. The, Yes, I do. Not because no, it's, it's weird. I get what I, I get what you're saying as well. But I've seen like, this is going to be like a bit of a lazy thing to say in some ways. But his Egyptian teammate Salah, that kind of thing happens to him every week when he plays. And he goes down and he gets the penalty. So players are doing it because it's effective. And I think that's why why Trezeguet reacted in the way he does because other players do it. Fernandez, some of the penalties he's won for Manu as well. The players do it and they get a penalty. If you don't go down. I don't, I don't think you get a penalty and I get that he's nicked the ball but Greg he's booted him in the shit nah, he hasn't that, booted him that, that, I, I, for me he, he has nah, I don't know what, has, so what more no. can Solly March do right so so he's so Trezeguet's coming at him in the box his team yeah. are 2-1 up he's got to try and win the ball which he has. Well, the ball's hit him. I wouldn't say he's won it. I'd well, say he's, he's won the ball him. first. Yeah. He's won the ball first. He isn't... Ca- he, <laughs> and he's booted. He isn't careless. It's not a careless challenge. It's not reckless. It's not using excessive force. So for me, it's not a penalty. It's not a foul. Dean Smith said... But Dean Smith said, right. Dean Smith said... His take was that if that would have been a foul anywhere else on the pitch, then he thought it yeah. would be a foul. Now, I can understand where he's coming from, but I, I don't agree. I don't think that the referee blows up for a foul like that. The, the most frustrating thing for Villa fans is that the penalty had been given. Now, if it, if it wouldn't have been given, then it wouldn't have created so much drama. So the fact that it was chalked off makes it very disappointing. I totally get that. But the referee's got the decision right for me, 100%. But do you not think that we we have seen that pretty much identical challenges week in, week out for the, on the likes of Fernandez, the likes of Salah? Salah's had a number of penalties given for incidents very similar to, to that. <laughs> I just think it's a, it's a penalty. And what's this clear and obvious stuff as well? Can someone explain that to me? Because 
Is it a clear and obvious error? Is it, is it enough to get overturned as a clear and obvious error that there is contact there? I, I, I don't understand what you're saying, to be honest, in the fact that you're saying he hasn't touched him. He has kicked him in the shin. It's it's there. But it, but it's not a careless challenge, is it? And it's not reckless. He, he's won the ball first. So for me, like, the, I think we're going into a whole different topic. The whole the whole topic around VAR is something that n- neither me or you no, can clear up. Rubbish. That's a fact. Because every, you know, every single journalist, every single pundit, every single TV presenter is talking about it, every single game let alone week you know nobody knows what VAR is anymore and and the decisions are ridiculous there's there's no um there's no consistency which is the most frustrating thing now I totally take your point that other fouls have been given and other penalties have been awarded but for me it's not a foul it's it shouldn't be a penalty whether it's Solly Marches on Trezeguet or whether it's any of the ones that Fernandez or Salah have picked up it, it's a good tackle He's won the ball. It's not careless. It's not reckless. It's not using excessive force. I don't know what March can do to try and win the ball. You know, if he doesn't stick his leg out, Trezeguet goes past him, potentially scores, and his team draw two to. What you know, is he is he not supposed to tackle then anymore? I, I do get what you're saying. I think what you're saying is like. I get like the stuff you said about Dennis Mortimer as well. It's, it's very traditional, and I wish football was like that, but it isn't. And when you see the other teams getting pretty much identical decisions, oh, that's what makes me think it's a penalty, rather than me sitting here and saying, "Oh, because it is a bit, it is a bit of a, a bit of an overreaction from Trezor guy." I can't deny that. But in the modern game, that penalty gets given nearly every single week, and it does feel like they, they get given to, to the big boys. And as I'm saying, as I've said a number of times already, I think if that's on Salah, Liverpool get that penalty. If that's on Fernandez, Man U get that penalty. I mean, look at the look at the one last season where he treads on Concer. And that didn't get overturned. Are you t- telling me that that's more of a is that more of a penalty? Yeah, I think that yeah. was more. I think that no, that was more. That was more. I mean, I'm looking at Fernandez again. He's fouling in the other so-called fouling in in the other boxes near on on Saturday, and that gets overturned again. I think that there was a little bit more in that. I think West Brom deserved the penalty more than Villa deserved yeah. the penalty on this occasion. But I can totally understand why both of them weren't given. You know, for me, they're both not penalties. Very, very interesting view. I'm surprised. I'm surprised you've gone with that view, but it is what it is. Not not often we've had a disagreement on the podcast, to be honest. Quite quite refreshing to not be on the same page. I didn't expect to get so um, no, passionate about you've, that. You've annoyed me after this podcast. I'm not going to speak to you for a week. I've, I've had enough of you. Let's let's move away from the penalty because one thing that is for certain, none of us get VAR and officiating at the moment, so we're never going to be able to, to talk through that and, and get it spot on. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Villa's defensive display, the first goal, it's chaos and it, and it's a mess. And just how worried were you, boy? That, does that come down to fatigue? It just That back line just always moves as one in a unit and it was just so disjointed and all over the place for the first goal I can't work out what we were trying to achieve yeah it was a strange one wasn't it it felt like Villa were trying to really take the game to Brighton and they probably just got a little bit carried away and pushed a few too many men forward um, you know sometimes as simple as that the, the, the game started quite slowly but Villa sort of had the ascendancy I felt and I felt that they just lost the discipline and lost their shape a little bit and um, got a bit carried away and then Brighton took full advantage. It was literally one pass from Lallana, wasn't it? And uh, Welbeck was through and there was no way the defenders were getting back there. But just felt like the, the Conza and Mings were maybe a little bit too close. And, and just as you say, all four of them pushed up too high. But the, the second goal wasn't much better either, was it? What was your take on that? No, I just felt it should have been cut out. I felt we should have cut it off at, at source. We let too much develop. And when the ball came across, it just felt like no one reacted to it. But you got to feel a bit sorry for Emmy Martinez because... Every time at Villa Park, someone seems to score a worldie. I mean, Sully March will never score a goal like that on his right foot ever again. But on this occasion, it flies into the net. And he, Martinez has been beat, beat by some absolute worldies at, at the, in front of the North Stand, hasn't he, in the, in the last three home games? It's been, <laughs> yeah, it's been unbelievable. Point, yeah. but, but, but bad defending. Bad defending, isn't it? Yeah, look, bad defending. I mean, Martinez will be frustrated with the with the guys in front of him because they've, they've let him down a little bit, you know. Um, as you say, it's a brilliant strike. He'll, he'll be very, he'll, he'll be gutted of, of how many, looking at how many goals he's conceded and as you say, so many worldies. But I think it's just something Villa need to work on again. It always feels like when there's a defensive, uh, a bad defensive performance now, Villa seem to, you know, fix it the week after, if not, two weeks later so yeah. th- there are certainly improvements now I mean this time last year we, we were we were quite concerned weren't we about the defence and Villa were heading into a period where it was all starting to unravel but you know, it doesn't feel like it's that anymore it feels like um, you know minor mistakes well, well major mistakes will be eradicated over time but the worry is now is that, that the home form is concerning losing three home games on the balance can never ever be a, be a good look and I think there's a tangible progress for Villa we've had an unbelievable start but I think what, what's difficult for Villa fans at the moment is it's been such a good start, but you are still left with that feeling of it just could have been better just because of the nature of the teams that we've lost to at home. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating, isn't it? It's hard to put a, put your finger on why they're not performing well at home and why they're winning away. I mean, I think that... I, th- I just think every game is almost even now. It's like there's there's no advantage yeah. playing home or away. Uh, you know, certainly we've we've no supporters in, and uh, um, you know the, the travel times are, are less anyway. Uh, for away games, you know, are they preparing better for, for away games? Is it more of a mentality thing? You know, the fact that they're on the road, they're spending a little bit more time together. I mean, I'm I'm clutching at straws here, but I, I don't think there's any particular reason why they're losing home games compared to winning away games I just think it's how the you know the, the, the results are falling almost and it's something that you know Villa will need to work on because even in the times when supporters are back you know they want that 
confidence going into to home games because it's a big thing. Yes, Dean Smith has said on many occasions he feels that you know 40,000 40, fans roaring the team home would have helped in, in the games that, that have passed. But they've just got to see what happens in, in the week's head now. <laughs> the good thing is that they're on the road again you know, on Monday. So let's hope that they're back to winning ways. Because you beat Liverpool 7-2. Um, unbelievable result. You've obviously won your last home game as well, Sheffield United, before that. And you do start to think Villa Park's going to be going to be a fortress. It's going to be a really hard place for, t- for teams to go. It was a re- relatively hard place for teams to go at the back end of last season as well. But it just hasn't materialised. And I thought Brighton would suit Villa on, um, on Saturday because I thought they played quite an open, expansive game when Villa played Arsenal the week before. They're quite open and expansive. I just, I just fancied us against them, but it didn't happen. And it's been these... These mid, not mid-table, because I know Brighton aren't mid-table, but do you, do you know what I mean? Leeds, Southampton, Brighton. At most, they're probably looking at finishing in and around the, the, the top 10, but they're the teams that Villa have lost to. Yeah, I think you could you could say that. But if you look at, you know, Villa have beat Fulham, they have beat Sheffield United early in the season. I think the Leeds game's a bit of a write-off. You know, it was just a, a very much a mismatch of a game. Leeds were brilliant, Villa were awful. You can almost scrape that one off. Um, the Southampton game, you know, James Ward-Prowse has scored two direct free kicks. And, you know, I wrote a piece earlier this week, uh, last week, saying that about attacking free kicks and the hit rate from direct free kicks is just 6 or 7%. So for Ward-Prowse, to score two in a game you know it's very 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 unlucky for Villa and Brighton I thought that they showed a different side to their game I thought that they were very very defence minded in the last 20 minutes you know they brought Dan Byrne on very late to just kind of tighten things up and Villa just had no yeah yeah it felt like that didn't it and I mean there were times where there were times where Dan Byrne who was playing as a left back would charge into the centre circle just to win a header and you know they showed a very different side to them and maybe that's what Villa need to do they if if they're struggling to break down these so-called lower ranked teams they need to have that plan B where they can unlock it and you know Brighton showed that and that's why they got the win at the weekend yeah I think the problem with that is it comes down to the, the options on the bench again but that's something that we've discussed a number of times just a, just just a final thing actually final two things one thing i want to say is why are we everyone's favorite team to score against danny welbeck apparently we're the team he scored most against in, in his career and it just feels like there's so many players like that well danny welbeck only joined brighton a few weeks ago yet he joins just in time to play against his favorite team why does that stuff always happen to villa do you want me to give you the easy answer to that dan there is no answer it's because you follow Every single Villa game forensically and don't follow yeah. every other team forensically. So you oh, feel that opponent, opposing there. players are scoring all the time against you. But I'm sure there will be plenty of examples of, of players scoring plenty of goals against other teams. So it's just because you're a Villa fan, Dan, that's all, mate. No, I want you to do I want you to do an article. And I bet you you could find so many players <laughs> over the years whose favourite team to play against is, is Villa in terms of the goal output. I bet Gerard, Robbie Fowler, Frank Lampard, I bet Torres when he was in the Premier League. I bet you if you went through it, I mean, I'm setting you a massive task here. You probably don't want to do it, but I bet that I bet there's so many players that Villa are their favourite team where they've scored more goals against Villa than anyone else. Can you do that for me? I'll, I'll have I'll have I'll have a look at that actually. Yeah, it's interesting because I was I was taking the mick out of um, Andy Carroll uh, last week, and I and I had a look at him, his goals, and 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 I, and I re- remembered he'd scored quite a few goals against West Brom, and he's actually scored more goals against West Brom than anyone. So there are plenty of other players and examples, Dan. I'm sure. 
good man. That's that's all I want. I think that probably does us for this week. It's an odd podcast because I genuinely feel like we've had a bit of a marital, but first time that's happened in a year, so that's pretty good going <laughs> for, for 12 months. It was definitely not a penalty. <laughs> Don't start me off again, Greg. As I say, not going to be speaking to you again for, for the rest of the week, but thank you for joining me for this episode of 1874, and thank you to everyone for tuning in and listening as well. We'll be back at some point after the West Ham game next week where hopefully Villa will bounce back, doing well on the road at the moment, so fingers crossed for three points. Only one thing left to say, up the Villa.